I'm Tyrus. I'm Liz Clayman. I'm Greg Jarrett. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, March 19th, 2020. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The virus is forcing some rare bipartisanship as the Senate passes House-approved coronavirus legislation and the president says Americans are going to get financial help. I think people are trying to get past the panic, the hype, and and trying to, to deal and adjust, and so am I. I'm Chris Foster. Coronavirus gives people taking care of family members at home something new to worry about. Have a plan. You know, it's not just how to give care, um, but to also think about what could happen to you if you're exposed, if you become sick, if you become quarantined. And I'm Leslie Marshall. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Navy hospital ships have been deployed to both coasts. They're the big white ships with the Red Cross on the sides. One is called the Mercy and the other is called the Comfort. One is headed to New York. The other is stationed in San Diego for now, but can be redeployed. President Trump has said he was invoking the Defense Production Act and said there will be a moratorium on foreclosures and evictions and that his administration is working on a plan to send money directly to Americans suffering financially. But the president also stressed following health guidelines for 15 days to slow the spread. That means seniors and those with underlying health conditions need to stay home and those who are sick should stay home as well. Wednesday, the president said during World War II, people volunteered to fight for the country and manufacturing employees worked around the clock to make needed supplies and equipment in wartime. To this day, nobody's seen anything like what they were able to do during World War II. And now it's our time. We must sacrifice together because we are all in this together and we'll come through together. It's the invisible enemy. That's always the toughest enemy, the invisible enemy. But we're going to defeat the invisible enemy. I think we're going to do it even faster than we thought. A House-approved plan to deal with some aspects of the virus has been approved by the Senate. It provides for free virus testing, unemployment help and sick leave pay. Arizona Republican Congressman Andy Biggs did not vote for that package. He was criticized for saying the bill too loosely defined what family was, but he told me that was not why he didn't vote for it. He said he had other issues with it. First, though, I asked how he's doing. His staff is working from home. I'm feeling good. We're trying to keep as normal as possible, but I mean, uh, I've been out at a couple of events where people uh, were not canceling and not postponing, and uh, I think people are trying to get past uh, the panic, the hype, and, and trying to, to deal and adjust, and so am I. A lot of Americans are really worried not just about the virus, but really about their bank accounts. I know people all over my social media feed have been laid off. They're not working. They're freelancers or independent contractors, and they have no money coming in. The president is talking about sending checks directly to Americans. I know you did not support the House coronavirus package. Would you support the president sending out billions of dollars to American families? I think that's a, that would be a, mis- a fundamental mistake. There are so many other things that that we could do to uh, gin this up. And I would also say that I, I think it's it's not really a great move. I, I get this. We want to social distance, but to tell people that they, they shouldn't be living and basically hermitizing themselves, that, that may not be the, the best thing. Because people, when our economy goes down, don't forget that that, is also, that also creates a health hazard, too, because people don't go see the docs. People don't spend money on medicines that they need. They can't afford to spend uh, money on medicines that they need. 
that has a tremendous health, uh, negative health impact as well. We we understand that. But Congressman, all due respect, isn't this sort of a different situation? I mean, we're talking about a, a, a real shutdown here of, of people just n- not going out and about. It's it's not the same thing. And we've never experienced or seen anything like this. You, you really don't think that a, a cash infusion to help people pay for groceries and go to Target and order, you know, diapers and creams and well, you just, basic essentials. You just said people are hunk- you're just saying people are hunkering down. We can we can find remedies that are short term that can alleviate the very things that you're concerned about without basically undermining this country's economy and pushing us to a depression. And if you think things are bad now, you you, you really need to to open up your eyes to what happened in the 30s when we were in a full depression, people couldn't work, and people were in soup lines and bread lines and out of homes and, and selling pencils on streets, selling apples on streets. I'm not saying we're going to get there. I'm just saying that you have, we better be real measured in what you do, and you have to be real careful in what you do. The bill that came out the other day uh, actually put intense pressure on small business. Uh, if you're a restaurant and you're, if you have 40 employees the odds are you're going to be closing your doors within a couple of weeks. The bankruptcies are going to come through, and I want to know what you think the $1,000 is going to do for that business owner who's now on the hook for all kinds of paid leave, and they're told that you can get it back in three months when, you, when you're supposed to be paying your quarterly taxes. Well, how much it's, does the House bill that be got really approved, but, and, and the House bill got approved by the Senate, by the way, how much is, is that going to help small businesses? My understanding is it also provides free testing for the virus. It helps with child care, gives money to hospitals. Are you saying this kind of package will, have a, will backfire, will actually have a negative effect? I mean, the free testing, I think people were content with the free testing, and they want to make sure people have access to the medical supplies that they need immediately. But when you start closing businesses, which is what you're doing, the way they structure this is not going to have the immediate impact that you want. I mean, what you're talking about is you want an immediate impact. But what you've done is if you're a business under 500, you're bearing the burden. They exempted businesses over 500. Explain that one to me. You can't explain that to me. What, what should be done if these sort of packages, you know, you're not on board with? What would you like to see? We bailed out the financial services industry 10 years ago. What you could do is you could say, in exchange for um, a couple of technical regulations, mark to market, uh, you remove that, remove the CECL uh, program, uh, that would give them, uh, the financial institution, some stability and, and, and uh, clarity now. But you would also, what you would also do is say, look, for 90 days, you're going to protect the mortgage mortgagees so they don't get foreclosed on. You're going to protect people so they don't get their cars um, repossessed. I mean, those are those are things that uh, I gave to the president last week that others are working on. We continue to work on them uh, for legislatively as well. Those are things you would have that have a very similar impact to what you're talking about, where people wouldn't have to be worried about um, cars or car payments wouldn't have to be worried about their their uh, their house payments those types of things that provides an immediate influx is it fair to say the president's tone has changed a bit i mean from we have it under control only a few people have it to now in, invoking this defense production act working with hud to suspend all foreclosures sending navy hospital ships to new york and california i mean what what in your mind sort of happened with the president i think he's responding to to the 
the sense of the of the public. I mean, and the reality is, I think the president has done a really good job trying to stay ahead of this curve. Uh, and we actually have. Uh, if you compare us, we're a nation of 330-some-odd million people. I think we've been ahead of the curve all the way, but the, the fear of the unknown is out there and, and is pretty prevalent. And I think the president's trying to respond. He's got a great team there under Vice President Pence, who's providing all kinds of information on the health side. And then he's uh, some good people um, trying to give him information and uh, advice on doing the things that you're talking about. Uh, mobilizing some of our resources um, to help us here in the United States. Now, Wednesday, President Trump also, as earlier mentioned, did say he was invoking the Defense Production Act meant to help speed up the production of certain items, in this case, medical items by private industry here in the U.S., but then later tweeted that he only signed it to combat the virus should we need to invoke it in a worst case scenario in the future. Tom Spohr is a former Army Lieutenant General, and he's now with the Heritage Foundation. Defense Production Act really kind of started in World War II. And so you think back to then and the United States industry really mobilized in support of the fight, in support of the war. And, you know, there were entire civilian factories taken over to produce airplanes and tanks and things like that. Most of those authorities uh, went away at the end of World War II. But then the Korean War hit and all of a sudden they found that they need these authorities again. So they introduced and the president signed, President Truman signed the Defense Production Act, which gives the executive branch, specifically the president, some fairly significant powers to direct uh, U.S. industry to prioritize contracts, uh, to manufacture goods for the the defense of the nation, and to really allow him to put money in specific areas of industry. So this was used in the 50s, and it was not used in the 40s during the during World War II, but it was created because we saw what happened during World War II and the amount of production that was needed by U.S. industry. Right. And so in World War II, they had a couple of uh, laws called the War Powers Act, War Powers Act One mm. and Two, which really, you know, you see pictures of American uh, industry officials that had been mobilized and put into uniform and, and put in charge of things. And that's really the laws they were using. And that those all expired with a lot of other laws that uh, helped win World War II. But then Korean War came out of nowhere and all of a sudden uh, American industry was cut flat-footed. We didn't have the right amount of equipment to fight the Korean War. And so they had to really reauthorize a lot of these powers again. And it hasn't been used since the Korean War. No, it has. It's been used in a number of different cases. Uh, Hmm. The ones that come to my mind, they use the Defense Production Act uh, near the start of the war in Iraq, the most recent war in Iraq, when they figured out they didn't have enough body armor to outfit all the troops. Hmm. So they had to quickly scurry around and get a lot of different manufacturers making body armor. And they used the Defense Production Act to kind of command the various companies that can make this body armor to stop whatever else they were doing and to make body armor. I was seeing some Democrats on Twitter saying that, you know, they, they were saying we wanted the president to invoke this Defense Production Act last week. You you wrote that it's not a flawless thing. It, it does have some downsides. It's a, it's a tricky act. Can you tell us why? Yeah, and so since the Korean War, Congress has acted to broaden the Defense Production Act and broaden the definition of what really is national defense. So when it started out in the Korean War, obviously just directed towards fighting that. Ever since then, Congress, every year it's been reauthorized uh, 50 times. 
has kind of broadened that. And so it was used by President Obama in 2014 to put a lot of money against his uh, biofuels initiative. This is making mm-hmm. uh, gas, petroleum products out of uh, biological things like uh, grass and corn and things like that. So it spent a lot of money uh, on that project using the Defense Production Act and energy security as the justification. And My understanding is that most medical equipment that we need is made in China, right? I mean, everything from Band-Aids to hospital gowns, masks, and even those those ventilators that we would desperately need should, you know, several members of our population, you know, suffer badly with this virus. How do we ramp up production here for those yeah. items? Where are we turning to? So a lot of it is made in China, but some of it is not. And so I remember seeing stories about 3M factories who do make the uh, N95 masks in the United States. And so they're there may not be as much manufacturing in the United States as we would like, but there is some. The Defense Production Act can be used to help ramp that up. I mean, one of the authorities in the act is that the United States government can transfer money to a company. So let's say they need to increase the size of their facility or install more production equipment, uh, specialized tools, that kind of thing. The United States government can just say, here is a big uh, pot of money, buy what you need and start making more right now. Otherwise, you know, a company would have to perhaps take out a loan or something like that to increase its uh, capacity. Now the United States government can make money available directly to those people so that they can ramp up production. Finally, as somebody who you know studies this act and is a former army man himself, I mean, what do you hope the president does now that he has invoked this act? If you were advising the White House, uh, what would you say they should do now that they have invoked this and the American people you know, might be on board given the, the seriousness or the feeling of seriousness of this virus? Yeah, so I would use every authority that the Defense Production Act allows. And so that would include prioritizing government and state uh, customers in terms of medical equipment. I would get more money pushed towards medical equipment manufacturers using grants and loans so that they can increase their capabilities. And I would um, prioritize contracts. And so tell tell the manufacturers of these things, put DOD first in line for all these type of things. I know your customers are important, but this is a national emergency. And the Defense Production Act gives the president all those necessary authorities. Well, Tom Spohr, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jessica. Thank you. This is Leslie Marshall with your Fox News commentary coming up. People who take care of others' medical needs, professionally or at home, someone with special needs, say, or an elderly parent, have to be extra careful now to not get those people with pre-existing conditions sick with coronavirus. They, of course, also want to keep healthy themselves to be available for the people they're taking care of. We're talking about taking care of the caregivers. First with Jason Young, he's senior vice president of AARP, the lobbying group for older Americans. There are 40 million family caregivers in the United States, and they have a really difficult job in ordinary circumstances. I'm talking things like wound care, tube feedings, bathing, but also taking care of someone else's finances or transporting them from uh, home to doctor's appointments. Coronavirus will only exacerbate their tasks and the stress that they're under. So we have to step up and, uh, and, and really support them at this time. 
we're not only combating coronavirus in this country, but also the fear, anxiety, and social isolation that people are starting to experience. How can we support them? Well, the number one thing that we would say is have a plan. You know, it's not just how to give care, um, but to also think about what could happen to you if you're exposed, if you become sick, if you become quarantined. Rely on your network. Think about who else can step in and help in that plan. Also think about how to stay in touch with your uh, loved one under any circumstances. If the person's at home, uh, do an inventory of what you have in the home. Think about things like medications and food and, uh, and, and make sure to have a two- to three-week supply of those items. You can also rely increasingly on delivery services. It's a good idea to have things delivered to the home so that you don't have to go out into the community where you risk your exposure to the virus. And one last good idea is to be an advocate for your loved one in all circumstances. So uh, taking care of uh, 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 things like masks, disinfectants, these kinds of things are things that a, a, a person in need of care wouldn't necessarily be able to do for themselves. But if you have to take them out into public, you have to think about them and make sure to support them as well. I guess one danger of a hospital setting and one advantage of a hospital setting is that um, the danger is being more sick people. The advantage being um, stringent cleaning uh, practices in place in a, in a home setting that caregiver is responsible for that. So the Trump administration has wisely uh, come out in favor of greater uh, use of telehealth, of telemedicine. And it's this idea that you can uh, interact with your doctor, your care facility, without increasing your exposure to the virus. Medicare is even paying now for telehealth services. So uh, the good news is that you can uh, get the care that you need without having to be exposed. And you're exactly right. If you're in the home, uh, you, you also have to take those same precautions that any care facility would be taking, which is to clean regularly, wash your hands, those kinds of things. How do you, another thing that some families have to manage in multi-generational families is keeping kids away uh, from the older people that are being cared for. Any tips on managing that? Absolutely. This is where the network comes into play. Uh, no one person can do it all. And if, you have, uh, if you're a sandwich generation person where you have both kids and, uh, and, and the grandparents around, it's very important that you make sure that everybody is clean, that uh, everybody is uh, uh, practicing good hygiene and following the CDC guidelines. Of particular importance is to find other ways to interact. Uh, so if, uh, if, if grandchildren and grandparents have to be separated during this virus, still find a way maybe to use video chat or just a good old-fashioned phone call uh, so that families can stay together virtually. Medical facilities are seeing more coronavirus patients and preparing for a lot more as this outbreak spreads. More on the challenge facing those medical professionals with Fox News medical contributor Dr. Jeanette Nisha Watt. She does family and emergency care. She's the medical director of the City MD chain of urgent care centers in New York and New Jersey. We are already taking, you know, the precautions before outbreaks occur. But, you know, of course, this makes us a little bit more vigilant to make sure that we don't um, bypass any measures along the way in an effort to help protect patients from, you know, viral infections, in addition to that, fungal infections and bacterial infections and superbugs that we see going on here in the nation. If doctors and nurses and other hospital staff get sick, 
it's a double hit. You lose somebody who's helping patients, and then you actually ha- also have one more patient who then needs taken care of. Is yeah. there a big yeah. fear here of the medical yeah. field being overwhelmed? Not a fear, but a huge concern. We we know and we are educated and understand the criticality of making sure you wear your PPEs. And what is that? Literally, I have in my hand right now, it looks like a helmet with a shield, a clear shield to protect my eyes, plus an N95 mask. I'm wearing a gown right now as we speak, and I took off my gloves to, to speak with you. So we understand how critical it is and how vital it is to protect ourselves. Otherwise, if we get sick, we cannot protect, uh, we cannot take care of our patients. So we understand how important that is, and uh, and not only to protect ourselves, but to protect others around us as well well, because if we pick something up, then we go home and can pass it on to the rest of the family. So that's something that we're very well aware of. Um, in addition, not just, you know, doctors and nurses, but, you know, our, our first uh, first responders, our paramedics and medics who are out there on the front line, you know, taking care of patients, working hard, we, you know, we have to make sure that they have all the supplies and PPEs they need as well, because they're they're just as important. If, we, if we're down an ambulance and down a medic or a paramedic or EMS, then, you know, that can be definitely of a, a, a concern. But that's why it's important to be educated, to plan ahead, to prepare, to make sure that we have enough supplies so that we don't have to um, put ourselves in harm's way. Are you hearing any stories about a lack of supplies or masks running low, gloves running low? I, I'm hearing I'm hearing about it, but, we're, you know, here at work, we're, we're very careful that we don't, you know, leave masks and supplies just laying around. We're, we're very careful to use them wisely and um, to take care of what we have because we know this, this is our, our barrier to, um, to not only viruses, not only the coronavirus, but to also influenza and bacteria, other bacterial infections as well. A big part of these measures we're all taking and suffering through is just to stop this crush at medical facilities. Um, what do you think about the idea that there's going to be a lack of beds and a lack of ventilators in some of these regions? Um, right now we're at the point where we're trying to prepare and procure more supplies. We don't have a shortage right now as we speak, but we don't want to get to that point. So that's why it's so important to you know, get as many of to prepare as much as we can to have beds available. And we do that by, for example, postponing any elective surgeries. Um, you know, if, if there's an opportunity to, to discharge a patient from the ICU down down a level, then, then we'll do that. Um, you know, so taking these little minor steps to help have more beds available and then looking to see, you know, there's discussion of MASH units, FEMA partner, partnering up, um, creating uh, emergency preparedness programs throughout the nation and, um, you know, looking at, you know, should hotels, also there's been talk of should hotels be used as, you know, medical units or even dorm rooms. So all of these um, factors are, are being considered by our, our local officials to, to try to plan and prepare in advance in case we do have a surge and not have the capacity to take care of, of all these patients. But it's important that we have not only the supplies to take care of them, but we need the healthcare professionals and we need the space. So it's, a, it's multifactorial, but I think if we really, really try to continue with efforts and, and getting all these things together before we have that problem of a shortage of ventilators. I don't think we have that problem right this moment, but we may get to that problem if people don't respect the rules of social distancing and quarantine when they're told to. Dr. Jeanette Neshawat, one of our brand new Fox News medical contributors, uh, 
Thanks for coming uh, on the show. Welcome aboard. I'm sure we'll speak again. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have a good day. Be safe. Wash your hands. Avoid sick people and touching your face. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Leslie Marshall. What's on your mind? Following his overwhelming losses Tuesday to former Vice President Joe Biden in Democratic presidential primaries in Florida, Illinois, and Arizona, Senator Bernie Sanders needs to face the fact that Biden will be the party's presidential nominee. In the interest of party unity and to help send President Trump into retirement, it's time for Sanders to end his presidential campaign. Voters across the country have clearly shown that they prefer Biden's message of pragmatic, progressive changes to Sanders' calls for a democratic socialist revolution. Biden's lead of nearly 300 delegates in the race for the presidential nomination is simply insurmountable at this point. This leaves Sanders with no pathway going forward to overtake Biden. According to exit polls, about 80 percent of voters in Arizona, Florida and Illinois believe the former vice president could definitely or probably win the general election against Trump. And Democratic voters across the country have said in many polls that defeating Trump is their top priority. Here are some takeaways from the three primaries held Tuesday. Biden won big. Biden's margin of victory over Sanders was nearly 40 points in Florida and 23 points in Illinois, with almost all votes counted, and about 12 points in Arizona, with 87 percent of precincts reporting. And Biden received strong support from African-Americans, rural and suburban voters, Catholics, Protestants and Jews, blue-collar workers and older voters. Biden won every county in the state of Florida. This broad support cuts the legs out from under Sanders' argument that he is the candidate of the people, while Biden is the candidate of the Democratic establishment and billionaire donors. Latino and younger voters are warming to Biden. Biden chipped away at Sanders' coalition of progressive young people and Latinos, and Florida exit polls showed Biden got 56% of the Cuban-American vote and 65% of the Puerto Rican vote. And among progressive voters in Florida, Biden won 53% to Sanders' 37%. The coronavirus is a top concern for voters. The coronavirus has replaced health care as the top concern among many voters, and their concern continues to grow. In both Florida and Illinois, more voters said they trusted Biden on health care issues than Sanders. In speeches Tuesday night, both Biden and Sanders spoke of the need to protect Americans from the coronavirus pandemic. But Sanders touted his costly and controversial Medicare for All plan, while Biden spoke of unity and said Americans must come together on a bipartisan basis to battle the virus that is sweeping across the world. Most voters in all three of the states, with primaries Tuesday, said they have anxieties about contracting COVID-19. As many as 40 percent in Florida are very concerned that they or a family member could be become infected, and about a third in Illinois and Arizona feel the same way. So where do we go from here? In state after state, Democratic primary voters have supported Biden over Sanders. If Sanders continues to battle Biden in remaining primaries, the only thing he will accomplish is to strengthen Trump's re-election chances. I'm Leslie Marshall. You have been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to Fox News Radio's hourly newscast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, visit foxnews.com. 
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.